Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares. And by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to The Last Symptom. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host. I hope you are all having a wonderful week. People do what they want to do is one of the simplest but also most profound statements that can be meditated over for a long, long time. It expresses a reality that goes far beyond what you initially hear when it's said. People do what they want to do. Think about it. If I want to lose 50 pounds, but I don't do it, I might blame it on lots of different things. Oh, this quarantine. Oh, I have a hormonal imbalance. Oh, the only thing I have available to me is junk food. Oh, I work in an office job, and I'm sitting for eight hours a day. But when you cut away all the the baloney, <laughs> what is the truth of the matter? The truth of the matter is that all of these excuses we just gave are merely examples of why it's more appealing to you not to lose 50 pounds. It just so happens that not losing 50 pounds is more appealing to you because of all the reasons we just listed. Not losing 50 pounds is more appealing than doing whatever it's going to take for you to lose 50 pounds. So why aren't you losing 50 pounds? The simplest answer is that you don't really want to lose 50 pounds. Yet, because that would involve more effort than you want to put into doing it. How would we know for a fact that you really want to lose 50 pounds? Well, like this. You would lose 50 pounds. Think about that. People do what they want to do. The deeper meaning here is that whatever people aren't doing, they aren't doing because they don't really want to do it, if we're being completely honest about it. Think about how many times you say you'd like to do something, when the reality is you don't want to do that thing at all. Boy, I really want to climb Mount Everest someday. <laughs> I was on a wilderness backpacking trip across Maryland a few years ago, 
near the end of a November, and my brother and my friend and I, we come up on a shelter late at night, right about midnight, and there were several guys there huddled around a fire, and one guy was there with his girlfriend. Now, we didn't know any of these people. They were just people who happened to be hiking the same trail we were. So these folks invited us to make use of their fire. So we all saddled up around the fire there with them. And because the one guy, a younger guy, had his girlfriend with him, of course he had the biggest mouth. All he talked about were fish stories. And, you know, when I say fish stories, I ain't talking about actual fish stories. I'm talking about great, exaggerated tellings about his supposed exploits and of all the great things he was supposedly going to do one of these days. Hey, I can't blame him. If I'd had a woman there with me, I'd, I'd have done the same thing. So I can't, I can't really fault him for that. But one of the things he talked about and just went on and on forever about was about how he was going to climb to the top of Mount Everest. And me and the guys with me, my, my brother and my buddy, we sort of rolled our eyes at that because the guy had already established himself as a big talker. But who knows, maybe he will one day, or maybe he already has. But applying the people do what they want to do rule of thumb, what does it mean if he doesn't ever climb Mount Everest? Well, he just didn't really want to do it. Of course, what we as people want to do in any given time period of our life is subject to change. After all, that's why we're all here. For me, I could have become interested in studying my psychology 20 years earlier than I did. But what it comes down to is that I just didn't want to. And sure, I can give you all sorts of reasons why I didn't want to. My total ignorance that I was living with borderline personality disorder being one of those things. But still, the fact remains that for many reasons, I just didn't want to understand the deeper parts of myself back then. I, I didn't have enough motivating me to do so. I wanted to do lots of other things more, didn't I? But if I had wanted to, if I had wanted to, I would have. People do what they want to do. A simple yet profound statement worth walking around thinking about from time to time. I really am glad you're here with me today. For free resources focused on the authentic escape from emotional disorders and particularly borderline personality disorder, please visit and make full use of my website, thelastsymptom.com. There's all kinds of free resources there. If you'd like to have a conversation with me, you can schedule that over at thelastsymptom.com. If you're benefiting from my work yourself and you'd like to support my overall body of work so that not only you, 
but many other people can continue benefiting from the insights I provide, please consider leaving me a donation at thelastsymptom.com. For those of you who have donated to The Last Symptom in the past, I want to take this opportunity to, again, thank you. Your generosity really has been the thing that has gotten us this far. Well, I reckon we should address the elephant in the room. Currently, in world events, there have been some protests and riots going on, and some people reached out to me to find out what my stance on some of these things is. So I'm going to tell you what I think. Are you ready? What I think is, refocus. What does any of that have to do with your authentic recovery from emotional disorder or of understanding the underlying causes of your issues? Remember, it was only a few weeks ago that I told you to maintain your focus on what is relevant to your efforts to authentically recover from your emotional disorder and to avoid, at all cost, anything that obstructs you or misdirects you or fails to contribute to your objective. Now, every single person who is riled up over the issues of modern world events, the first problem is that you're riled up. Allowing our emotions control over us is contrary to clear, honest, empathetic thought. You you, you take the most healthy person in the world and you get them emotionally riled up in that state. Nobody is able to think clearly and honestly. So what do I see when I look at the world? I see a lot of people who have handed their emotions control over themselves. And this is regardless of whatever side of whatever thing you're on. As humans, we're not made in a way that our feelings are ever supposed to be in control. I know that, for example, in movies, when the hero loses his temper, that's when he really sets things right, isn't it? Well, that's a movie. That's not real life. In real life, that's not how it works. When your emotions are in control and take over, the result is never a good result. Never. As humans, we're not made in a way that our feelings are supposed to be in control. And listen, I spent the first 35 years of my life, at least, probably a couple years more, with my feelings controlling me rather than the other way around. And I'm not ever going back there. You can you can put as much pressure on me as you want. I'm not ever going back there. You can do whatever you'd like to do. But I'm not ever going back there. There is not any injustice that can happen in my life that would ever make me think that allowing my emotions control over how I perceive things, how I interpret them, the conclusions I reach, there, there's no injustice in my life, nothing in my life that would ever fool me into believing 
that allowing my emotions control over me in these ways is wise or excusable. I feel things as strongly as anybody else, believe me, but I know the truth that no matter what I feel, I, I have to be the person arriving at conclusions, sorting through the feelings to determine if the conclusions they're trying to get me to arrive at are, are accurate or not. That my feelings are so powerful sometimes, they can make me believe a thing that is not so, that's not true. Or they can make me take a stance on a subject that is premature and foolish or selfish even. I also know the truth that my feelings no matter how powerful they are, are simply information that I can combine with my analytical thought to make decisions and come to, and come to my own conclusions. Do you notice that? I take the feelings and I, I come to conclusions. I don't allow my feelings to do it for me. And I, I make decisions. I don't allow my feelings to make decisions for me. I don't allow my feelings to decide anything for me. It might be easier if you think of your feelings as one of two advisors. Just because an advisor tells somebody something, do they have to do it? Not at all. But that's the way a lot of people live. And I know because I used to be one of them. And as I said, I'm never going back to that. Who is the other advisor? The other advisor is your analytical thought. So the first advisor says to you, Whoa, hey, there's some, there's some things you really have to know here. And this is what we got to do about it. And the second advisor says, <clears throat> uh, pardon, pardon me. Before you go doing anything stupid, I'd like to add some more information for you to ponder that might change everything that uh, your first advisor there has told you. Not that he told you anything wrong, per se, but you don't have all the information yet. Let me give you the rest of the information. Now you can combine it with what he said. And now you can come to conclusions and make decisions and, and do all sorts of things. Now, ask yourself, in regards to what I just described with these two advisors, our feelings and our analytical thought, how much of the world <laughs> do you currently see living this way? How, how much of the world do you see really in control and using their feelings and their analytical thought fully as advisors that they can get data from, remain in control, and then come to completely clear-headed conclusions on. Not very, not very many people, really, right? And I don't want to be a part of that crowd. I refuse to be a part of any of that crowd, no matter what the side is. 
And by the way, isn't it interesting that if you're furiously on one side of any of these debates, you've taken much of what I've said and you've thought, "Uh uh-huh, boy, he nailed it. He described the other side perfectly. (laughs) Right? They're just emotional and irrational, those people. And if you're furiously on the other side of the debate, you've probably thought the same thing. Oh, boy, he nailed it. He's described the other side perfectly. Bunch of irrational, emotional people. Why do you reckon that is? It's because you're not being very honest. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. I'm always talking about you. You're looking for confirmation bias. And the things I'm saying apply to everybody. They apply to human beings. These are human psychological matters that I am discussing, not political matters. And I'm telling you that if you're interested in clear, honest thought, then the answer, as always, is to stop looking outward. Look inward. Look inward. You know, it's like when we realize we're in an unhealthy romantic relationship. What does everybody do? Well, they go looking for a therapist for the other person, don't they? (laughs) Every time. Every time. Almost always, when somebody in an unhealthy relationship comes to me, what are they coming to me for? They're coming for me to tell them all the ways that the other person is unhealthy and what the other person better do to get better. What's the problem with this? The problem is the law of individual inherent rights, responsibility, and authority, which, which you know, I, I've talked about out the wazoo. You have, you, you have no right or authority over that other person whatsoever. I don't care if you've been married to them for 30 years. The real question is not what is wrong with them And what are they doing wrong? What good is that information when this sort of thing is your primary interest and the other person's primary interest is in doing the same thing you're doing, but to you, trying to figure you out and point out all the things you are doing wrong and need to do different? Who is the only person who can honestly examine what you're doing wrong and then make you do things differently? Isn't it you? Yeah. It's, it's you. And who is the only person that can make him honestly examine what he's doing wrong or what kind of defect he's dealing with that he and only he can correct? Only him. Only him. And he has to do it willingly. You know, that's the kicker. People do these things willingly or they're not really doing it. You know, this isn't like playing soccer. It's not like kicking a ball. You can't make a person honestly examine themselves if they just don't want to. They either choose to do it willingly or they don't do it. That's why couples therapy is such bullshit because the person's doing it for the other person. You know, I'm going to, we're going we're to get a divorce Unless you go to therapy with me. Well, hell, why didn't you say so? Let's go to therapy. That was easy. (laughs) 
It's, it's really ridiculous when you think about it. The whole thing is designed for failure from the very beginning. So, only we have authority and power over ourselves. And we either do a thing willingly or we're not doing it for real. We're doing it for fake to get a result that we want to get. And once we get that result, then mission accomplished. But back to this person who uh, is only interested in pointing a finger at what the other, what's wrong with the other person. What are the only questions that matter? The only questions that matter are why were you with that person at all? Why did you stay with that person as long as you did? What about you made you blind to how unhealthy that person is? When you figured out that they were unhealthy, what about you made you gloss it over? See, you've got your own problems. And they're problems you actually have power and authority to do something about. But that's all being neglected, isn't it? And why? Because where's your focus? Your focus is outside of you on that other person. And where's that person's focus? Outside of him, right? On you. All the things that's wrong with you and what you should do different. What a bunch of bull. What would fix it? What would fix it is for everybody to stop and examine the one thing they have any authority, power, control over at all, and that's themselves. Who can determine for you if your perspectives are built on an entirely false premise? Can anybody determine that for you, force you to realize it, and then make you adopt a more accurate premise? No, only you can do that. Do our feelings determine reality? No, they don't. Do the most number of people believe in a thing determine reality? No, they don't. And if you you haven't realized that yet, I, I feel sorry for you. If two people are seeing a thing based on two entirely different premises... Does this create miscommunication and misinterpretation? Yes. Does it make one of them wrong and the other one right? Not necessarily. Remember, the underlying premise each person is viewing the thing with is different for both of them. So their conclusions are naturally each going to be completely different, aren't they? Why would you expect anything else? So I'm not here to swear my allegiance to any side of any political debate, no matter how justified and righteous you think your side is. I'm here to talk about how to be emotionally healthy in an authentic way, even in the most challenging of circumstances. And my work is directed to all of you, to everybody, no matter what your background is, no matter what your stance on anything is. Let me say this. Either you can be in charge or your emotions can be in charge, but both statements 
cannot be true at the same time. And do you know what's really tricky? What's really tricky is that often when a person swears up and down that their emotions are not in charge, guess what? Their emotions really are in charge. It's the entire reason that we as people are prone to things like denial, confirmation bias, and cognitive dissonance. There are few forces in the universe as powerful as denial because it lies to us and it utterly blinds us. What advice can I give you no matter what side of anything you're on? Well, we've already addressed it. To never allow your feelings power that only you are supposed to have. No matter what side of anything you're on, only you can choose to be honest enough with yourself to determine for certain if you're seeing and thinking about things clearly and coming to conclusions based on an accurate premise to begin with. Only you can choose to be honest with yourself enough to determine for certain that you're not under the unbelievable power of denial and then only you can choose to escape it if you discover that you have been in denial. That's acceptance, by the way. The incredibly healthy and just as powerful opposite of denial is the ability to look at a thing and see what is really there, no matter how we feel about that thing. So is there any dogmatic, ravenous person on either side of any debate currently raging that cannot benefit from the things I've set up until now in today's show? No, there's not a single person who cannot benefit. It doesn't matter what your stance on things is. You can benefit from these things. Don't you want your thinking to be based on reality? Don't you want to come to the most accurate conclusions you can? Well, you can't do that if your emotions are in control. You can only do that if you're in control. Everything we've talked about up until now in today's show would make the world a better place. Why? Because it requires every single person who applies these things to be clear thinking, honest with themselves, empathetic, and to correct anything out of place with themselves that they come across. Why? Because their focus will be on the one thing they truly have total power, responsibility, and control over and can fix. Now, before we move on, there's a popular saying going around in some circles that silence is complicity. Well, silence is not complicity when the premise you live with is that mankind is incapable, not just unable because they haven't figured it out yet, but incapable of fixing the world's fundamental problems, that only God can do this and that he's going to do this very soon. And that is the premise that I'm coming from and that I view world events with. So feel how you want about that, but those are my personal beliefs. All right, and that's all I will say about that. Let's talk for a minute about getting to know yourself. What does that mean? Getting to know yourself means digging below the surface and understanding yourself better than anybody else does. 
You know, until now, you've believed that you know yourself really well because, well, you have always been you. But there are many things you only know about yourself superficially on the surface. Borderline personality disorder, in particular, involves, in part, two major elements. Number one, disgust with oneself, which is shame. And number two, an overpowering aversion to intimacy. Because the message in shame is that you are unlovable. You catch that? Not, not, un, not just unloved, but unlovable. That is, incapable of being loved. Therefore, anybody who gets to know and see the real, unpolished, vulnerable you is destined to reject what they find there. That is the only result possible when you believe you're unlovable, the only imaginary result, let's say. So these two things, disgust with oneself or shame and this overpowering aversion to intimacy, have secretly affected not only the nature of relationships you've been able to have with other people, but also, catch this, the very nature of your relationship with yourself. Number one, you've avoided getting to intimately know and understand somebody you already despise. That's you, yourself. It's no different than anybody else. If I despise somebody, I'm really not interested in getting to know that person below just the superficial stuff, right? Hi, Bob. Bye, Bob. That's about it. Number two, you don't want to get to know somebody intimately, that is yourself, when you're already certain that that person is unlovable, that you're unlovable, that is incapable of being loved, therefore not worth investing in and getting to know. And you're afraid of having that thrown in your face anyway, of getting uh, intimate with yourself and finding out that what you fear is the undeniable truth. So what all this means is that you, for all of your life, have only ever allowed yourself to know yourself superficially. It's kind of crazy to think about, isn't it? Because you are you, and yet you've only allowed yourself to get to know and understand yourself superficially. There's a lot about yourself that you deny because you find it so repulsive and your belief system tells you that everybody else will find it repulsive too. But the reality is that not all of us were were raised brainwashed into thinking that you are devoid of worth. So those things would not repulse us as you believe they would. So you know a lot of what you feel and what you do And you know some superficial false explanations for why you feel and do those things. But you've never, until maybe recently, really dug below the surface to understand the the true, deeper reasons for these things. And this is where the why exercise comes in and helps. 
And if you're wondering what the why exercise is, be sure to listen to Season 1, Episode 23 of this show. It is titled, The Why Exercise. But besides the why exercise, what else is a practical and useful thing you can do? Well, you can analyze the perceived quote-unquote confirmations throughout your life and see how in reality they weren't confirming anything at all. What am I talking about? Well, do you know why I get so angry every time I call customer service? (laughs) When I'm getting on the phone to call them, I'm not angry because of anything they've said to me because they haven't had time to say anything to me yet. I get angry because my perspective or attitude going into the process is that I already know, quote unquote, that they are going to be unhelpful idiots. So I'm making the phone call with that as my working premise before the phone representative and I have ever traded a single word. Think about that. I'm going into the experience on the premise that the person I end up talking to is going to be an unhelpful idiot. Does this affect my tone of voice and my approach? Sure, it does. Does this put the phone rep on the defensive immediately? Sure, it does. Does it usually result in a combative phone call with the phone rep being an unhelpful idiot? Sure, it does. So is my perspective and attitude creating a self-fulfilling prophecy before I've ever even dialed them up on the phone? I'd say 99.9% of the time, probably yes. And what happens when the phone rep is an unhelpful idiot? Well, this enrages me even more, doesn't it? Because the thing that made me loathe making the phone call in the first place has now actually played out. But... What happens when I check myself before making the call and I say to myself, Barnett, you have never talked to this person before in your life. This is a blank slate. So you can't go at them as if you already know them. You have to allow them to prove for themselves if they're unhelpful idiots or not. The previous experience has no defining power over this experience whatsoever. The two are not in any way related. Well, usually what happens is that the phone representative ends up being extremely pleasant and overwhelmingly helpful. Do you see how the premise affected my perspective going into the experience, which affected my behavior, which affected my approach, which affected the end result It takes a lot of work to question our perspectives, keep them in check, and do some experiments to see if we aren't interpreting things completely inaccurately and therefore not getting the actual results we believe we are getting at all. The the premise may be entirely wrong that we're operating on. So the quote-unquote confirmations in your life, the things that have said, yep, look there, you're devoid of worth, or look there, yep, your feelings sure are shameful, or yep, you're, you're total waste, nobody likes you. All of these confirmations 
Imagine how you might have interpreted these experiences differently and more positively if instead of believing you're devoid of worth, you instead had approached these experiences with the certainty that your worth is an inherent part of being you, that you just, you just do have worth. It's part of being a human being and that nobody can take it away from you and you don't ever have to do anything to earn it. And that anybody or anybody who suggests otherwise is reflecting a truth about themselves, not about you. So did you catch all that? You almost have to create like a imaginary doppelganger of yourself. It's another you, but it's another you who was raised with the exact opposite underlying certainties. That person does not believe she is a piece of crap. She believes that she has as much worth as any other person on the face of the earth. How does she go into an experience? How does she interpret the experience differently than you do? You see, you have to observe these things in your imagination to understand just how far off the basic premise you are working with is. Because that's going to help you start to correct it. It's going to help you start to take yourself and move the, per, the premise that you're working with closer in line with what is healthy and accurate. This exercise with time can help you convince yourself once and for all that your worth is a real thing, not just some kind of ethereal, superficial, philosophical thing. And it can also help you prove to yourself once and for all that the opposite has never been truly confirmed. You only interpret it, interpreted it as a confirmation. It wasn't a confirmation of anything at all. The point is that our attitudes and our perspectives become filters that determine how we perceive everything. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it, they, these things determine how we perceive everything. Just because we look, we are seeing a thing with our own eyes does not mean we're interpreting that thing correctly. So attitudes and perspectives become filters, and these filters determine how we perceive everything else. Everything we experience has to first pass through these filters. So a person who's living on the false premise that her feelings are irrelevant and shameful, devoid of worth, and that she is also devoid of worth, she's interpreting every experience through that filter. Somebody calls her ugly, and that confirms, quote unquote, what she already believes. So instead of seeing the experience for what it really is, it's really only a reflection that the other person is an asshole. And instead of her seeing the experience and interpreting it that way, oh, I see, you're an asshole. She views the statement that that person made as a confirmation of fact. Do you see how that works? She gets a flat tire. Instead of viewing this as a, just some random thing that happens to everybody, she interprets it as an obvious consequence of being worthless. It's just the universe reminding her of it. 
But what about a woman who's comfortable in the knowledge that she has inherent worth? Her worth is inherent. That it is simply an included aspect of being, an, of being a person. She does not view experiences and what other people say and what other people do and what other people think as confirmation of anything about herself. No, she knows the truth that these things can only, and I mean can only, reflect realities about the person saying, thinking, and doing those things. They can't reflect any realities about you. Only the things you say, you do, and you choose to think can be reflective of any reality about you. That may be something worth spending some time thinking about. Nothing outside of you can reflect any realities about you. Only you can reflect realities about you. All right, now, that's the end of that discussion, but it's kind of related to the next discussion, a question that was asked of me. Is love for yourself something that can grow, or is it like one day you love yourself? You know, you just wake up and, oh, I love myself so to death. Well, uh, here's my answer to that question. You'll know if you really love yourself by the way you behave, feel, and think towards yourself. So imagine this. The way you naturally treat yourself is a mirror. It's a perfect mirror of whether you truly like yourself or not. <laughs> yeah, it's no different than the way we treat anybody else. If there's somebody we genuinely like, we let them get away with some pretty outrageous things sometimes, don't we? And we're willing to overlook those things. Or at least we're willing to be forgiven and give them the benefit of the doubt that they will learn from the mistake. And we don't hold it over them forever, do we? We let it go. Why? Because we like them. And we know that they wouldn't have done such an outrageous thing on purpose, that they're trying. And we don't want to beat them down more and discourage them, do we? We want to show them compassion so that they can be encouraged and realize their potential moving forward. So do we offer the same patience, understanding, forgiveness, and compassion toward people we do not like? No, of course not. We're much less forgiven, aren't we? We make very few allowances for people we do not like. We make great allowances for people we do like. We have very little patience for people we don't like. We have unusual amounts of patience for people we do like. See how that works? So to answer the question about how you'll know when you're, if you really love, love yourself and like yourself, look at how you treat yourself or how patient and compassionate you are with yourself. These things don't lie. They mirror whether you do like yourself or whether you don't. Okay, one last question here, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, this one. It's not my fault. 
it's the abusive person's fault. So uh, somebody wrote to me and said, one topic I've been thinking about that I don't think I've heard you discuss is if we're experiencing all the symptoms of an emotional disorder, could it be because we're with an abusive person? So, you know, it's not that we actually have an emotional disorder, but it's all coming from the, the, the abuse of this other person. For the nine billionth time, emotionally healthy people do not choose to be in relationships with emotionally unhealthy people. The two things are contrary. What happens when a, a person who is emotionally healthy, truly emotionally healthy, discovers that they're dating an emotionally unhealthy person? They end the relationship. So if the direction you want to go in is to point the finger at the other person and say, oh, I'm not emotionally unhealthy. It's all his fault or it's all her fault. Well, then you go for it. But it's not going to do anything whatsoever to help you understand yourself better and to address the emotionally unhealthy attitudes that you are unquestionably living with that made you think that you choosing, you yourself choosing, to get into a relationship with an unhealthy person is probably not the first time. Or to continue an emotionally unhealthy relationship with an emotionally unhealthy person in a committed way, uh, like working towards marriage or working toward a whole life together, and then blaming the natural consequences on the other person on the other person. This this approach to the thing, pointing the finger at them and saying, oh, it was all their fault. They forced me into this relationship. They tricked me. They tricked me to stay forever and ever. And uh, I'm perfectly emotionally. I don't have anything to fix. It's because they're so abusive. Well, <clears throat> that's denial. It's denial. You've got your own issues. I'm not saying that the other person is not abusive, and I'm not saying that the other person is not unhealthy. I'm saying you're unhealthy, and you're the person who can do something about it. But if you're too busy pointing the finger and blame and everything and everybody and everything else, how's that going to get fixed? It's not going to. So time to be a little bit harsh and honest with yourself that uh, your attempt there to get out of doing any work is just bullshit. So, you know, you you can do what you want to do there with that. But I don't think there's too many honest people who don't see what's going on there. Well, folks, that is the show for this week. I want to thank you for joining me. I know that there's so many other things you could be doing, and there's a lot of distractions out there right now. So let me just say it again. Hey, Maintain focus on what's relevant and constructive and adds and, and harmonizes with your objectives. It doesn't matter if all the world's problems got fixed tomorrow. Do you know that? If you are emotionally unhealthy. If you're emotionally unhealthy and the whole world turned into a Garden of Eden tomorrow 
and everybody was getting along and holding hands and singing We Are the World, you would not be able to fully enjoy it. You still would not be able to enjoy authentic inner contentment as long as you're emotionally unhealthy. That's what I want to help you do. The rest, well, I'm sorry it's going on, and I'm sorry that so many people are being affected by it, and obviously it's uh, it's got a lot of people's emotions raw, and that's understandable. But by me helping you uh, strive for clear thinking, uh, there's nothing bad that's going to come out of that, I promise. <laughs> there's nothing bad that's going to come out of people thinking more honestly and more clearly. And that really is the name of the game, right? So I hope you all have a wonderful week. I missed you last week. I'm sorry about that. I was just exhausted. So I took a week off. But I'll be here next week, same place, same time, hopefully, and I'll see you there. This is Brian Barnett signing off. (laughs) 